This morning I want to start out in 1965. 1965 was a really big year. Number one song of the year was uh, Sunny and Cheer, I Got You Babe. Not a, not a single whoop, that's really tragic. <laughs> there we go, Sunny and Cheer. Number one movie was Sound of Music. All right, there we go. Cool Whip was introduced to the world. There was an earthquake in uh, Seattle, Washington on the day that I was born in 1965. That was a big event. That was a big event. Uh, and Grace Bible Church was born, 1965. And so a lot has changed in, uh, you know, what, 52 years. A lot has changed in our world. A lot has changed in Grace Bible Church. But there are also some things that haven't changed at all. Uh, our church was founded on, on certain values that have remained constant and consistent throughout over 50 years of the life of this church. And I think sometimes it's really important for us to just stop and remember those things and to review those things for ourselves, lest we forget. Because we are people who are prone to forget. You know, just this week, I I asked my son a question, and he said to me, he said, Dad, you already asked me that question. And and, uh, I I don't know what the question was. (laughs) It's not surprising, right? Because this happens a lot, and I just said... You, that's all right. You know, I got thousands of things just running through my mind right now and decisions I have to make and responsibilities and, and choices and ideas and so many things are happening right now. So just don't make a big deal about it and just tell me again, okay? Just tell me again because this is just going to happen more frequently. So just tell me again, right? And I think as a church, sometimes we, we, we can kind of lose our way and forget and we just, let's just stop and say it again. Okay, so where I want to begin this morning is, uh, in a sense, with, with who we are. What do we value as a church? And then I want to talk about where we're going, okay? So four values that have been true and consistent throughout the life of the church. The first is this, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Okay? The grace of God in Jesus Christ. The reason that our founding members named the church Grace Bible Church is because they believe in the power of the grace of God to transform lives, like nothing else. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. This semester we're going to study the book of Ephesians, and very central to the idea of Ephesians and the power that the church experiences is the grace of God in Jesus Christ, which means this, God loves you unconditionally. Period. Whoop, Amen. I mean, that's how God loves you. God loves you unconditionally. By grace, that is God's undeserved, unmerited favor bestowed upon you in Jesus Christ. You are delivered and rescued from everything that's broken in your life through faith. And it's not because of you. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's just a gift of God. And then to make the point further, Paul says, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast and no one can brag and say, I had anything to do with it. All that I've done is believed and trusted in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, over and over and over again, I have seen this truth transform people. I mean, over again. I'll give you just one illustration. I remember years ago when I was teaching across the street in the college class, there was a young man sitting on the front row, and he'd been raised in, in a family that was, was demanding. It was never enough. He could never be good enough for the family, and consequently, he felt like for God. And so he was always working and working and laboring, trying to make himself worthy of God's love and family approval and all kinds of things. And I was speaking that morning 
on the grace of God and, and his unconditional, undeserved favor that he gives toward us that we, we didn't earn, consequently we can't lose. And there was just a moment where the spirit broke through and he, he just wept. He's sitting on the front row and this is a big, strong, tough guy and he just, he was broken by the grace of God. And I will tell you, it totally changed the course of his life and gave him freedom. We are grace Bible Church. We believe in the transforming power of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Second, uh, we're a Bible church, Grace Bible Church. We believe in the power of God's word. Hebrews 4.12, one of my favorite verses that I memorized years ago, says this, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces into your life and changes your life. And again, over and over again, I've seen when people Come, come into interaction with the Word of God with a heart that's, that's open and receptive, not just to learn data about God, but to listen to the voice of God's Spirit through His written Word. Right? As Paul tells Timothy, breathed out by God through human authors. This is the message of God to us. I've seen people receptive and listening as they study and learn the Word of God, and lives are changed. I believe in just the, the raw power of God's word. That's why we, we teach the word of God. And every sermon you're going to hear at Grace Bible Church is going to be rooted in the word of God. It'll be drawn out of the word of God rather than hopefully an opinion that's illustrated by a verse or two here in scripture because we believe the word of God changes lives. Third, we believe in the strategic value of students and adults worshiping together, serving together, praying together, making disciples together. We believe that there's, there's a power that, that's unlike anything else. And so, you know, we just praise God that he allowed us to be positioned right next to arguably one of the most receptive campuses on the planet to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Ray Ortland once said, the church is always one generation away from extinction. Church, let that sink in. The church is always just one generation away from extinction. So, for those of you who have gray hair in the room, if all of the rest of the room is gray hair, we're in trouble. We want to go after constantly the next generation. I love this verse, and now that I have gray, I've adopted it for myself, right? It says this, even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation and your power to all of the generations to come. Do you know that in the United States of America, among Christians, those who are Christians, 77% of them trusted Christ before the age of 21. 77% of the Christians in the U.S. trusted Christ before the age of 21. That means that our children and our youth and our college students at Texas A&M are at the most receptive stage of their entire lives, and they will become less receptive as time goes on, statistically speaking. And our students, Aggies, You're here and we acknowledge that you are studying and preparing to become the future leaders of this nation, of this world, in business and education and technology, in in all realms of culture. You will be the future leaders. Now, this is an opportunity for us as a church. It's an opportunity. Because if Jesus Christ grabs hold of your life during this period of time and he sets the course of your life, and you, you begin to, to understand that really life is found when you build all of your life around Jesus Christ. And, and so you make your decisions about who you're going to date and who you're going to marry and what job you're going to take and where you're going to live based upon your commitment to Jesus Christ, 
then you can go out and you can literally, together, change the world for the kingdom of God. And so for us, as a church, we go, man, what a, what a privilege for us. What a privilege. Right, so, I mean, we acknowledge, for us who, who are locals, summer's a nice, nice breather, right? We drive down Texas Avenue and there's no traffic. It's, I mean, I, you know, I went to Torchy's a couple days ago, no line, and then, you know, next week, I'm not going to Torchy's. I mean, it's just... <laughs> But I'm not grumbling and I'm not complaining and parking's going to get harder at church and we're going to probably open the overflow next week and it'll be harder to get a seat in here. But students, I just want you to know that as a church, man, we love it, we embrace it because it's opportunity. And we are not here for our comfort. We are here for kingdom impact. So welcome and we want to invest in your lives. Now, for those of you who are young professionals and families in this community, What that means for us is that we need to live lives that are worthy of imitation. So as we bring students into our lives, we have something about which we can say, follow me, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ, so that we can make disciples, we make disciples and go out to all of the nations. That's a value for us as a church. Fourth, we have an obligation to the nations. I want to read to you from uh, the book of Revelation Chapter 7 and verse 9. These are a couple of my uh, personal life verses. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 reads like this. After these things I looked. This is John's vision. After these things I looked. And behold a great multitude which no one could count. From every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they, sang, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all of the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne of God and they worshipped saying, Amen. They said, That's right. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Oh man, that's just, that just motivates me every time I read it. I go, yeah, okay, that's the end of the story, church. That's where everything ends. So let's back up. What do we want to do today? Today, we want to be preparing more and more people to join us on that day, right? Because when, when Abraham got a covenant way back, God said, look, Abraham, I'm not choosing you because you're great and awesome, because really you're not. And you tried to give away your wife two times. But let's not even talk about that right now. But I'm choosing you. So that in you, all of the nations can be blessed. And what does blessing mean? That they know and they love and they follow God. So, that's our obligation. That's our commitment. You know, uh, at our church, when the church was only really just a, a, a few months old, they decided to have their first missions conference. And it was at a time when they couldn't even, week to week, pay the one pastor they had on staff. Now, I, again, you know, I look back and go, oh, I don't know if that was a good idea. But they felt like, hey, this is what the church is called to be for the nations. So they had a missions conference. They took on four missionaries, $10 a month, $40. Huge commitment for them. The brand new baby church just getting started. Now, uh, in our budget alone, we have uh, over $500,000 that we give to missionary salaries. Every year that goes up. It's 20% of our budget. And I know that many of you also personally give a lot of money to the nations. 
so that others can hear. In other words, what we want to be is we want to be a church that's not about ourselves, but we're, we're about others. We're about the campus. We're about the community. We're about the world. We worship here so we can be equipped and we can go out and have impact. So this is who we are, right? Grace Bible Church. We believe in the grace of God and Christ, the power, transforming power of God's grace and his word. We believe that when students and families come together, there's an amazing opportunity for the Great Commission. And that's what we're about. Believe in our obligation to the nation. So I know that at this point in time, it's not only that we need to review it for those of us who've been around a long time, but maybe you're just visiting Grace for the first time. I want to give you a sense of this is who the church is. If you want to be a part of it, this is what we're going to be about. And I expect this is what we'll continue to be about for the next 50 years. So if you join, you know what you're getting into, right? This is who we are. Now, why are we here? Well, all of those values flow from our calling or our mission as a church, which comes from Matthew chapter 28, and it's repeated in various places, but this is what we know as the Great Commission. Go therefore, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What's the church's mission? Make disciples. I would argue that is the mission of every church. I don't think the church, small local church, many of those, or the church, universal, global, I don't think the church, in a sense, gets a a choice about what its mission is. This is the mission of the church. Now, each particular local body may have a particular way that they participate in the Great Commission, but making disciples is why we're here as a church. That, that's the point. We, we make disciples. Now, I, I have, I mean, I've, I've studied all the passages on the Great Commission, and I've, I've taught about it for years, and I've, I've written articles about the Great Commission, and one of the things I've realized about myself is because I'm a, a teacher, I want to be comprehensive. I want to, I want to say everything. You know, I don't want to parse every verb. I don't want to get into everything. And what happens then is I get, I get too complex. I complicate things. And so through the years, I've learned that I really just need to, to make things simpler. Because God has a simple message and direction for us. And so I, I, over the summer, I've um, been working with some of our staff, and I kind of boiled it down to a simple phrase for us. What are we about as a church? So here it is. This is where I've landed right now. This is what we do, church. We help people find and follow Jesus. Okay, that's it. We help people find and follow Jesus. Now, are there other things that we do? Sure. Well, we worship together and we pray together. But it has been argued that of all of the other things that, in a sense, the church does, the church will do all those things better in heaven. But we won't do this better in heaven because we won't have to do this in heaven. Everyone will be following Jesus in heaven. So right now, the urgency upon us is this. We help people find and follow Jesus. And everybody can participate in that. Everybody should participate in that. That's the calling of us as a church. It's the calling of us personally and individually. So let me, uh, let me unpack that just a little bit. We help people find and follow Jesus. And maybe, you know, you read that first and go, what? wait a second, I didn't think Jesus was lost. He's not. Jesus is not lost, needing to be found. The problem is we're lost. Right? We're lost and we need Jesus to find us. Ephesians 2 says this, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked. That as you were born into the world, separated from God and not chasing after God, in fact, running 
away from God. To be dead means to be separated. We didn't know God and we didn't want God. That's how we're born into the world. That's, that's our natural state. We are, we're lost and we're broken. It was interesting this past week, uh, former President Obama quoted on his Twitter feed a, a quote by Nelson Mandela that years ago Nelson Mandela made. And, and he, he put this statement by Mandela out and it became, this last week, the most popular tweet ever in the history of the Twitterverse, right? Okay, Nelson Mandela, and this is what he said. He said, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. And you know, that's just really a wonderful sentiment, except that it's false. (laughs) It's false. Uh, Charlottesville was horrible and sickening and sad, but not surprising. Not surprising. Uh, Jealousy, envy, hatred, strife is what's natural to the human heart and can only be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, deep down transformation. The grace of God in Jesus Christ is the only hope for the world. And who has that message? The church. The church is the hope of the world. Because we possess the gospel grace of Jesus Christ. We're broken, we're fallen, we're lost. That's why, in fact, Jesus came. Luke chapter 19. Jesus speaking of himself. He said, the Son of Man, that is me, Jesus, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. How does he do it? How does he save that which is lost? 1 Peter 3. For Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. The, The point of Christ's work on the cross was to pay the debt of our sins. Because sins creates a debt. Sin creates a debt which can only be paid by death. And so Jesus was the substitute, the just, that is the one who had no sin, hanging on the cross and paying the sin for the unjust. He took away our debt of sin. That's, that's the gospel. That's the point of the cross. Now, years ago, uh, Dr. Menninger, famous uh, psychiatrist, made this comment. He said, when I look out at the hospitals uh, where I work, he said, I believe that 75% of my patients could immediately walk out the doors of any psychiatric hospital if they could just be convinced that they're forgiven of their sins. The problem was he couldn't give them any basis for forgiveness because he didn't believe in Jesus. So he couldn't tell them how, in fact, their sins were forgiven. Well, this is how, church. The debt has been paid in Jesus Christ, and we receive that payment when we just believe. We just believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Your debt will be removed and you will have life that lasts forever if you just believe. That is, you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But you reach out and receive it. And you just say, thank you, Jesus. That's transforming. It's transforming in a way that obeying a set of rules and regulations that you've been told to do just doesn't, it it may change your behavior for a time, but it doesn't transform the human heart like receiving this gift from God, which is the life of Christ. We help people find and follow Jesus. Right? So finding uh, Jesus, he, he's not lost, we're lost, but then he finds us, right? he chases us down, he seeks and saves that which is lost, and then once we're found, then our job, in a sense, is to help others get found. Right? 
We, we, we stand uh, between a Jesus who is seeking them and, and these people who are lost, and we encourage them, move, okay, come, come toward Jesus. And we're standing in that gap, and we're drawing people in. We're helping people find Jesus. But then once having been found by Jesus or finding him, then we, we want to encourage them to follow Jesus, right? That's evangelism, finding Jesus, discipleship, following Jesus. We want to teach them, as Jesus said in the Great Commission, to obey all that's been commanded because that's where life is. Listening to the Holy Spirit and responding in obedience and being transformed and building all of life around Jesus Christ and nothing else. Right? We want to make disciples of all nations. That is, make followers who, who center life around Jesus and nothing else. Or, as I've said before, a disciple is simply a person who loves most what matters most, and what matters most is Jesus. And so we want to help people get to that point. So how do we do that? Okay, how do we do that? Well, I want to talk for just a moment about uh, your mission and my mission. Okay? How, how do we engage personally in the calling of the church or the Great Commission? First, pray. Okay, well, it's church. <laughs> we'll talk about prayer. No, but I, I mean, I really mean it, actually. Uh, this, this is the starting point. 2 Corinthians 4 Paul wrote, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It, when we pray, we're actually not just kind of launching words into the air. What we're doing is we're entering into spiritual warfare. The, the God of this world is actively blinding the eyes of people who don't know Jesus yet. And so when we pray, we enter into that process and spiritual forces are unleashed by Jesus to begin to pull back those veils so that people can be drawn to Jesus and experience life. And so we got to pray. You can't, you can't actually lead someone to Jesus. Like You can't do it. You can't convince them. You can marshal all of the absolute best arguments, but you can never convince in human wisdom someone to believe because it is a spiritual transaction ultimately so you must pray friend introduced me to this idea uh, about a year ago he said make three lists he said make a list of people where you live work or play and if you're a student full-time your work is your study and if your parents sitting beside you they're going oh awesome glad that pastor said that uh that's your that's your job right job is school or you may have a job and school but you also live someplace. Think about the people around you in your dorm room, right? Sweet mates, people in the hall, neighbors in your neighborhood. Do you know their names? Do you know their children's names? Do you know where they are spiritually? Make a list, right? And begin to pray to help them find Jesus and follow Jesus. People who are in your classes, people who are at your job in, at the desk next to you, make a list. I mean, literally make a list. This is right now the moment where you're pulling out paper and you're writing down. And you're going, yeah, that's a great idea, and I want to leave here with something. So you make a list. And where you play, what's your hobby? What are you into? I mean, if you have small kids, that's your hobby, right? So you branch out later and you actually do other hobbies. But what are the things that you're into? You know, maybe it's, it's sports or a craft or things that you build or make or whatever. There are people all around you that need you to pray for them to move back toward Jesus. So make a list where you live, make a list where you work or study, and make a list where you play, and begin to pray for these people. Second, speak. Speak the words of the gospel. They can't have life unless they, they hear the words of the gospel 
speak them. And I know that that's spooky. Do you know that the Apostle Paul actually asked the churches to pray for him to have boldness? Paul said, I don't want to be afraid. And we're all tempted to be afraid. So the great Apostle Paul said, pray that I would have boldness and I would just go ahead and open my mouth and speak the words of the gospel. And if you don't know how to speak the words of the gospel, you know you believe but you don't know how, then please come tell me and and I will point you to someone here who can train you how to speak the words of the gospel. Because you need to be ready in those moments to speak about Jesus. And you need to feel confident in those moments to speak about Jesus. Uh, You know, this uh, last weekend... We weren't here because we were up in, in Oklahoma visiting Tracy's family. Her parents had their, their 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, I got to have three really significant spiritual conversations while we were in Oklahoma. And one of the reasons was just because we showed up. But we had also prayed ahead of time with our kids. We said, let's pray right now that God would open these moments for spiritual conversations. And having prayed, I was looking for those moments to have spiritual conversation. You know what? The door opened up and it was awesome and exhilarating and it reminds me why I'm, why I'm alive. I, I was talking with one of her, her relatives and uh, this lady's had a very successful life. She's done lots of, of great things. And we were standing in a room full of people and she uh, just started weeping. So she turned her back to the crowd and I turned around and she said, you know, I just feel like I need to do more. I need to do better. I've wasted so much of my life. Like, thank you. (laughs) Let's talk about the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. You know, and I don't know if she believed in that moment, but I will tell you, she was so engaged. It was just, it was, it was beautiful. Right? Speak, you got to speak the words of the gospel. Third, love and love, love like Jesus loves us. Demonstrate the gospel. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works. They go, wow, there must be a God. Furniture giveaway that Zach mentioned, that's one great opportunity. I promise you, if you've never participated in that, it's so much fun to, to be able to, to give people something that they need, and to do it in the name of Jesus. Well, I'm telling you, it's uh, once you go and you participate once, you'll go every year. You'll be like, man, I, I'm, I'm canceling vacation so that I can go and participate in a furniture giveaway. It's, it's just, it's that great. Well, you can do the same kinds of things for your neighbors around you, people who are in the hallway. You know, love them, serve them, get to know them, ask, ask their stories. I mean, people are fascinating, and they all have unique stories. It, that's, that's, that's the rich part of life. And then you'll know how you can serve them and do good by them. Fourth, pass it on. Okay? What you do in life, you don't have to be perfect, but how you follow Jesus and love Jesus and put him at the center of your life, just start doing that for others. Book of Second Timothy, Paul told his protege, Timothy, he said, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, who will teach others also, who will teach others also, and so on for generation after generation after generation, because the church is always just one generation away from extinction. So, Timothy, discipleship is actually what keeps all of the church going for generation after generation after generation. So, what does that look like? Well, it starts with us, we're sharing our faith, right? We're engaging in deep relationships with people who don't know Jesus, and we're loving them in the name of Jesus. And then we're speaking the words of the gospel, and sometimes they trust Christ. 
having trusted Christ, they need to know how to feed themselves, right? We, we start spiritually like babies as well. And someone else has to feed us and then teach us to feed ourselves. Teach us how to, how to pray and how to look into the word and study and apply. How to worship, how to be in, in community. And having done that, we cast for them a vision. Now you can go and take what you have and you can begin to give it to others. Even as you are learning and as you are going, take whatever the little thing it is you have and invest it in the life of someone else. And maybe you're saying it right now, you go, I don't know how to do that. And I go, I get it. I understand that. I don't know how to make disciples. I completely and utterly understand that. Because I remember when I graduated from seminary and I was back here first on staff, a young man came and he asked me, he said, would you disciple me? And I thought to myself, I don't, I don't know really what that means. <laughs> this is after I got a master's in theology. Ooh, uh, wow. But how, how do you make disciples? Like people had invested in my life. I mean, I come from a very godly family. My parents had invested been involved in young life. I had leaders who had invested in my life, but I didn't know how to intentionally help someone follow Jesus. So I told him, yes, of course I will. But you just need to know I don't know what I'm doing. But that has never slowed me down. So let's just figure this out together. And so what I want to say to you is just get started. Okay. Imperfect as it may be. One uh, book I'd recommend to you, I've uh, had our staff read this book this summer and our elders reading it as well right now. It's called The Trellis and the Vine. There are hundreds of books about discipleship. Lots of great stuff out there. Uh, this is just one that we're reading right now about discipleship and casting a vision and giving kind of a course for how we can personally, individually, as a church, make disciples. Trellis and the Vine, great resource. And if you have any questions at all, please always come up and, and talk to the staff about getting trained to make disciples. Now, one other thought, get connected. In a, in a minute uh, or two, we're going to open up those back doors and you're going to have an opportunity to find uh, groups in your neighborhood. You don't even have to get online. You can talk to a live person about getting connected with other believers. And I would encourage you uh, to do so, to do it together. And what I want to challenge you to do is when you get connected in that group, First week, when everybody's going around and they're introducing them, themselves and they're kind of talking about what they want to get out of the group, I would love it. I would love it like if, if every single one of you raised your hand and said, you know what I want to do is I don't want to just learn this stuff, but I want to learn how to pass it on. So can we together practice how we can make disciples together? And maybe could I be coached and mentored about how I could gather one or two or three other people that I could pass all of this along to others? Could, could we do that? That'd be awesome. If, if every single one of our groups said, let's just not take in, but let's multiply. Right? Let's multiply. That's what we are each called to do. Now, I'd like to um, make a few more comments about one, one more item, and that is this. What can we do together? Or what is, what's, what's our vision? Because... What God has called the church to do is far beyond what you can do or what I can do individually in, in making some disciples here and there, followers of Christ. Uh, there's a power for, from what we do together that is far beyond us individually. In fact, uh, you know, when the Apostle Paul was going around and doing ministry, his goal was not to lead a few people to Jesus. And his goal actually was not even to lead a lot of people to Jesus. You know, what his goal was, was to, to help these people 
form a biblical community that would support and encourage and challenge one another and equip one another to go out and live on mission together in their community and then support other works to go out and make disciples in more and more communities throughout the entire world. In other words, Paul's goal was to plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. And I can't plant a church. And you can't plant a church. But we can plant churches. Right? Reproducing communities that reproduce more communities, which is ultimately the most powerful evangelistic and discipleship tool. So uh, this last week, I'm talking to our elders a little bit about this, and one of them uh, put together this graphic that I thought was really, was really helpful. Uh, and he sent it on uh, to me and Matt and Blake. It's just kind of a history of where we've been in, at a, as a church. So 1965, the church was established. And really for the next 30 years, our church consistently grew. And it left Bryan because that space was too small and found the spot across the street and then grew and outgrew that spot. And this land came available. So we're able to purchase this land and build a bigger place so that more people could worship. And, you know, almost from the first day that we began to worship in this place, it was full. Two services were full. And then we kept pressing out further, growing further. And we reached a point, uh, I think it was about um, 2006, where we had this moment. We're like, okay, we can't grow anymore in this place. Our, Our parking is terrible and the city has the park. We can't buy that land. And the little... Uh, nursery thing. They wouldn't, wouldn't sell us their land. We tried like 12 times. They wanted their stuff. So we, we can't grow anymore here. So what should we do? Well, I guess we could, we could sell this place and go build a bigger box and have more worshipers. And, you know, we just had this really wonderful moment where there was consensus that, no, that's not what God is calling us to do. What God is calling us to do now is to multiply the church. And so, I mean, just as, almost as soon as that, that decision was made, we discovered the Southwood facility and were able to purchase it right before the recession started. Because I think if the recession had started a day earlier, we wouldn't have had the courage. And then we always made budgets, and then some. And we've been paying off the debt on Southwood Note at an accelerated rate. It started at about $3.5 million. We bought it for two point five, had a million in re- renovations, and it's now under a million dollars. We've accelerated that payment. And we, we, we launched a place where more people could be equipped and trained to make disciples. And Southwood has just done phenomenally well. And so a couple of years ago, we, we felt like it's, it's time for us to launch again. And so we launched uh, Creekside Campus. And Creekside, in a sense, is uh, that's our, our next big thing. But I'm going to tell you, it's next but not last. Okay? Remember that. Creekside's next, but Creekside's not last. And the reason I know that is because our community is growing far faster than biblical teaching, grace-oriented, disciple-making churches are being planted in the community. That means Creekside's next, but Creekside's not last. I believe God is going to call us to continue to plant. Right now, what's next is we need to get Creekside solidified and strong and solid. We purchased land. We need to pay for that land. We need to pay for a building. And we need to make sure that the Creekside people who are worshiping there have a vision, not just to have a comfortable place but from south into town to reach the nations, right? That's, that's the point of planting churches that plant churches, and then we'll have three churches that together can join all of our forces and resources to plant churches that plant churches in our community, throughout our nation, which I think our particular target in the nation is university family kind of setting next to university, and then 
throughout the world. Right? That's, that's where I feel like God is calling us. So for the next uh, several months, we're just going to be talking about, in a sense, what's next. Where has God called us next? We know what the next big thing is. What we're working on right now is Creekside, but we also want to prepare and be ready to launch the next thing after that. We can partner. Okay, as a church, God has given us uh, just blessing of, of trust. So we partner with uh, different ministries that reach the campus. We partner with different community ministries. We uh, have developed partnerships with other local churches. In fact, Tuesday morning, uh, I'm going to spend the morning praying with other pastors from all different denominations, but who all believe that the gospel of grace, Jesus Christ, is the hope of our community and the hope of the world. Right? And God's given us that opportunity to develop these relationships and these partnerships that I think really expand the impact, but also just the beauty of the body of Christ in the community. Right? We can partner. Now, what does that mean maybe for you in particular, or for me in particular? Well, you can participate in three ways. Let's go back to prayer. So pray for the people where you live and where you work and where you play, but I'm, I'm begging you, begin to pray for this body. Pray that we would have discernment about what's next. Pray that uh, we would have the financial resources to do all God has called us to do. I, I believe in that. You, you can give. You know, uh, uh, just a few weeks ago, I was talking to a man kind of about what's the dreams that are on our hearts to multiply the church. And um, he said, wow, that's, you know, those are really big dreams. That's, that's expensive. <laughs> I said, I know. I said, you know what else? We have about 60% college students in our church. And he goes, oh, oh, that has actually, interestingly, never held us back. Never. In fact, when we moved into this building, do you know that the largest single donation was from a student? Wow. God, God's got all the resources. And I think one of the ways that God even grows us is he teaches us to, to give more generously and sacrificially. And we've had students give. Sometimes it's a dollar, but sometimes it's the biggest donation we receive for the next big thing. We've had parents who say, thank you for what you've done in our kids' lives. We believe it and we want to join you in the vision. We have former students who jump in and who give. You know? and, and so I, I'm, I'm praying really big and I'm, I'm believing that God is going to provide all that we need for all that he's called us to do. Or uh, third, maybe you can go. You know that Southwood Campus was launched out of the Anderson Campus. Anderson families went and laid the foundation. Now I go over there and I don't recognize two-thirds of the people. Awesome. You know, and the people who are there, who came from Anderson, they say, why are you here? <laughs> people from Anderson, young families class, laid the foundation to launch Creekside. So maybe it is as well that the next thing God calls us to launch God will say to you, go. I want you to go. Or maybe God's going to pluck you up out of your current job and he's going to say, no, I'm going to put you in a new place and let you help plant the church there or revitalize a church to make it a disciple-making church. Or maybe God's going to say, you know what? I think you've been in the United States long enough. It's time for you to go to the nations. He'll pluck you up out of here and send you to the nations. And all that we want for ourselves is just that we would be open and receptive. We would just say yes. I'd just say yes, Jesus. That's it. So... Uh, I, I confessed earlier that, you know, I'm a teacher and I get comprehensive, so I said a lot of words, right? a lot of words in the last 40 minutes. So I want to I boil it down to uh, one challenge for 
us as a church. This is my challenge for the fall. My challenge is this, that we would initiate spiritual conversations with at least two people who are far from Jesus. So that each and every one of us would initiate spiritual conversations with at least two people who are far from Jesus. Now I say at least two because I promise you, once you have that first one, you're going to go, wow, that was really scary and fun. And you're going to be looking for more. So if I say two, you're going to have five or six at least. So right now there's probably... Uh, I guess, you know, 800, 900 people sitting in the room. So imagine, and then in the next service, we're going to have 800, 900 more people. Next service. So imagine if every single one of us had two spiritual conversations. So 1,800 conversations from this group, 1,800 from the next group. That's 3,600 plus uh, all of the people who are at Southwood. You're looking at another 3,600. And the people who are at Creekside, got another probably 700, 800 conversations. So we're looking at, I don't know, seven, eight, nine thousand spiritual conversations that just Grace Bible Church could stir up over the next semester if we all said, yeah, I'm in, I'll do that, right? Eight or 9,000, 10,000 spiritual conversations. I promise you, I promise you that some of those would lead to people trusting Christ. I promise you. And then, you know what would happen? We'd have to plant a church. You got no room, no space. We've got to go out because we, we're, we're beating the bushes and we're praying, we're actively seeking Spiritual conversations with people. That's exciting. Let me tell you a story. This is from the 1900s. Uh, There was a man named uh, Charles Peace. And he was about to uh, go to the gallows. This was in England. He was sentenced to die because he was a career criminal. And so the officials at, at the prison, they came and they got him and they let him out. And he's walking down the hallway. And among these officials, there was a prison chaplain. Prison chaplain was walking along behind. He didn't say hi to him. He didn't shake his hand. He didn't give him a hug. He didn't do anything. He just opened a book, and he began reading from the book and kind of mumbling, walking along beside him. He's reading from a a book called uh, The Consolations of Religion. Peace asked him, so what are you reading? He goes, The Consolations of of Religion. And then Charles Peace asked him, he said, well, do do you believe what's written in that book? Chaplain stopped. He goes, well... I suppose that I do. And Charles Peace said this to him. He said, Sir, if I believe what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul. Church, my prayer is that we actually believe it and believe it so deeply that we couldn't stop our passion for people around us to know Jesus, to find him or be found by Jesus and to follow him and to build their lives around him. I close with this. It's a quote I gave to our staff a couple weeks ago from Theodore Williams. He said this, we face a humanity that is too precious to neglect. We know a remedy for the ills of the world too wonderful to withhold. We have a Christ who is too glorious to hide. We have an adventure that is too thrilling to miss. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd stir our hearts. I pray that your spirit would speak so powerfully and loudly to us that we couldn't help but talk about Jesus. We couldn't help but love our neighbors and our family and our friends in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father that you give us courage and boldness because we need it. Father, we are also broken and frail people and 
we need, we need your spirit to fill us with courage. I pray, Father, that you would open up those opportunities and we take them. I pray, Father, that some of us would see people make that transition and move out of darkness into light. I pray, Father, that you just stir up the life of our church as we see new people trusting in your son and beginning to follow him. Father, I pray that you'd refresh and renew our vision for making disciples among all nations. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, let me remind you, um, those doors are open if you want to find a group to plug into. And also, if you get into a spiritual conversation and you want to just shoot me an email and tell me about that, I would love to hear about those conversations. All right, God bless you. Have a great week.